you've never heard of our guest today, you could be forgiven for thinking that his two passions, perfume and tattoos, don't have a lot in common apart from the fact they're both applied to skin. Freddie Albrighton emerged into the perfume world in 2021 while the pandemic was in full swing with a vibrant, vivacious and often vulnerable collection of scents. And he joins us today to talk about the duality of his interests and his new fragrance, which is about to launch. So please join me in welcoming Freddie to the podcast. Hi, Freddie. Hi. So first question has to be, what makes a tattooist with a very successful tattoo career turn his hand to perfume? Mm. Well, I feel like these days as an artist, I see a lot of people falling into the world of tattooing because it's one of the only ways to easily make money and produce art and have a career out of it. So um, so I've always loved the world of tattooing, but for even longer than that, I've loved the world of perfume, basically, um, since being a teenager. And I've always thought of having a line and I've always wanted to learn how to make perfume, but I never had the finance, I never had the time. I chose my career path as a tattooist um, and that was going well. But then obviously when the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, I can't do my job for a year and a half. So what the hell am I going to do? So, um, yeah, so I, I, just, I just did it, basically. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I'll give, I'll give this a go and see what happens. Um, not necessarily with the intention of it, becoming anything especially as quickly as it did like I didn't think I'd come out with three fragrances like a year after starting but um I had so much time to work on it so Mm. uh yeah that I don't know if that answered your question yeah we'll come back to how you gained enough knowledge to release fragrances but I want to ask you what was your first tattoo my first tattoo were, well, this is a podcast, isn't it? So I can't show you. Well, I can show you. <laughs> I had a, uh, it's a, it's a Japanese Tengu. It's like this demon with a big red nose. Um, yeah, I had it done in New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand for a few years. Um, and that was my first one. I waited till I was 18. I still have it today. Um, yeah. I made much worse choices after my first tattoo than I did <laughs> <laughs> having my first tattoo. That one I thought about. The rest, no. <laughs> and what was your first perfume that I ever bought or, or, the, or either that you ever bought or that you ever fell in love with oh the first perfume I ever bought myself was Mark Jacobs men which was like a it was a fig but at the time I thought it was coconut because it just smelled like coconut to me um then I think I bought very shortly after Fleur de Mel, uh, which like the Gautier that was um, very like furniture polish orange blossom because it was feminine, I guess, but in a masculine bottle. So I felt like I could wear that. Um, I was allowed to. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I, I always think showing the jump from then to now, my first, when I discovered like the niche world, the first bottle I ever bought was Miel de Bois by Serge Luton, uh, just the kissy honey basically because I read about that it smelt of urine and I was like that's so cool so uh yeah I I kind of jumped from trying to find the weirdest designers I could to getting um weird weird stuff (laughs) but uh very quickly I had a lot yeah I was a big collector 
Yeah, well, I think we all can appreciate some weird stuff <laughs> getting to the, you know, down the niche rabbit hole. So going back to your brand, it's been really very well received since you launched. How has that been and how are things going now? It's been amazing. Um, yeah, it, it was well received, um, but it, it's hard. I imagine it's kind of like uh, like when a musician just kind of makes a little break and they still can't quite believe it and it all feels it still feels very small the brand is still very small right now but um it's been really good it's been very um south I, i'm rubbish with my word south i don't know what the word is it's just it's been exciting and um i still don't i guess fully have all the confidence that i need yet but um it helps just reading people talk about it, whether they like it or not. It's nice to hear, hear people talk. Because if no one's talking, then it's not interesting. So, um, yeah, it's been exciting. And right now, it's still exciting. I'm just uh, constantly making stuff and just dealing with the business side of it is the exhausting part um, mm -hmm. and stressful. But uh, <laughs> the actual brand itself is, yeah, it's still super exciting and feels it still feels like it has this buzz of like, this is going to go somewhere. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but right now, yeah, it it doesn't really feel real, the fact that I'm in shops and stuff. It's crazy. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm just kind of plodding along and just seeing what happens. Yeah. And a lot of your work, you know, whether it be tattooing or perfuming, is it's kind of giving out creatively. So I wonder what inspires you and what recharges your creative batteries? Yeah, I feel in tattooing, I go through big waves of creativity. There's times when I literally just work with a client and I know I can produce nice work. I'm very comfortable in the craft of tattooing, so I don't need to really think about it. But every now and again, I'll get a waste of inspiration and try something new. Whereas with perfume, I'm still, there's still so much to learn. So it's, I, I haven't really had like, a creative block yet because it's still so young and I'm still discovering new materials and still learning how to build just general classic accords because I didn't get taught these things so I'm still exploring them and learning how to do even the most basic stuff sometimes because it's an area that I haven't bothered playing around with. I feel like in perfume right now it is um I, it just it, right now it doesn't need recharging they're fully they're fully charged batteries <laughs> right now um but simple things like uh music or uh, I'm, i love movies so a movie i see can literally make me want to go to the lab the next day and work on something um so yeah literally everything right now excites me and charges my batteries for perfume <laughs> and and you said you know you're still learning do you enjoy that learning process or is that difficult I. I'm very um, impatient, so I, I'm not naturally someone who can just take my time, relax, learn all the ins and outs of something. It's like, no, I want this done. I want to learn how to do this like today, otherwise it's not going to happen. So um, I do enjoy it, and I'm kind of happy I'm on my own so no one can see the mistakes I make in the process, and I can just, uh, I mean, put... I feel like there is this big like seriousness around perfume and construction and whatnot. So it is nice just to be on my own and play around without knowing that anyone's judging what I'm 
doing or um, the mistakes I make and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm enjoying the learning process. It can be frustrating, but it can be amazing when you just, something falls into place and you're like, this is what I wanted. So, mm. so obviously, you know, you, you touched on being self-taught there. Um, how did you go about kind of gathering enough knowledge to make a perfume that hangs together and that kind of tells a story? You know, I know you said you had lots of time in COVID, but where did you even start with that? I, I feel like being involved in the perfume world as a collector, as a reviewer, had a huge impact, obviously, because I smelt a million things. I knew what I liked and I didn't like. I knew what perfume was meant to smell, like how it was meant to wear. Um, and then to a more specific degree. Um, I collaborated with Antonio Gardoni of Vogue. Uh, we made uh, Dulure, our fragrance. And I went over to Italy and spent a few days in his lab and he just showed me how he works. And that was the, well, it wasn't the first time I've been in a lab, but it's the first time I've sat and helped create a direct and construct something in front of my eyes. Um, and that kind of gave me enough of like, okay, this is doable as a person. You can have your own lab. It doesn't need to be this like big unreachable goal. Um, so literally when lockdown hit, I just invested everything I had into it. Basically I bought about, I started with really cheap rubbish, rubbish materials because I was like, I'm just playing around. So I bought loads of, naturals that were pretty crap but they just they did the job to get an idea um and then aroma chemical wise i just bought things i'd heard of um like icy super like of hedione and helional and just things that you've heard the name of um but then i'd just read descriptions and it'd be like oh this one smells like toast so i'd be like that sounds cool and i'd buy a little bit of that and just started building as much as I could until I had a cabinet full of materials um, and just kind of dived in basically and <laughs> gave it a shot. Mm. Um, and yeah, the first ever formula I played around with was what later became Benedict Margaret with Teresa. Um, and I finished it probably after about 20 or 30 takes mm -hmm. uh versions whatever you want to call it i feel i feel like it had been something i'd wanted to do for so long when i had the lab and i had the materials i got used to them very very quickly and it felt like this is what i've wanted to do for so long um and yeah it was it was the more technical stuff later that challenged me but to begin with it was just like painting with a new kind of palette i guess just trying stuff um so yeah. <laughs> what what feels more natural to you then? Is it having a tattoo gun in your hand or is it having a pipette? A, a tattoo gun I've been doing, I've been tattooing for 10 years. So like it's I can tattoo better than I can draw, than I can paint, than anything. So it's a tattoo gun is just easy for me. The pipette I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> um and what advice would you give to somebody who maybe didn't necessarily want to set up their own brand, but who wanted to start making fragrances for maybe their friends or family, that sort of thing? I feel like there are 
sellers that sell small amounts now, like perfume materials are accessible now and they don't have to cost an absolute fortune to begin with. Um, and yeah, I think as long as you're, you know, the very, very basics and you're safely diluting stuff and um, you're not giving things out to people that can irritate them and stuff, I think you just need the very basic health and safety knowledge and then just play with it. Like spend money on whatever you want. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a hard one because I, I do just have this tendency to like, if I want to do something, I just go ham and spend all my money at it very frivolously. And if it fails, <laughs> it fails. But uh, I know not everyone's in that position. So, uh, but I just was at that time. So yeah, um, yeah, go for it. Mm. Give it a shot. Yeah. And do you think it's harder for self-taught perfumers to be taken seriously or do you think the industry's changing enough that there's space for everybody now? I think the industry is changing, but also I don't really know the industry that well. I've been, like <laughs> I've seen it from a, a, a collector fan perspective. I've never been involved inside, so I don't, I don't, I can't really comment. I guess, but um, I completely get it because even from like my perspective, when I was like um, a perfume collector, whatever, um, hearing someone with my kind of story probably should be inspiring but it wasn't I was like the idea of someone just like rustling stuff together in their homemade lab is like a turn off for me and I guess it comes from this more snobby perspective of what perfume should be it's this grand thing you spend money on and it's fabulous and it makes you feel this way and then that kind of punk aesthetic of just like oh someone's just making this themselves and selling it like um, and they're not taught properly, I would have turned my nose up at that. So I get it. I get it when people are like, oh, I wouldn't want to try that brand because it's not like, do you know what I mean? He, he probably doesn't know what he's doing. But um, I hope my wife doesn't smell like that. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there is always this, like, um, tension between, like, self-taught people and, um, and not. But then there's so many perfumers who are self-taught that I just – flourishing like who would have thought like Andy Tower would be where he is like he's a self-taught perfumer um uh, yeah I believe Vera Kern um she came from like an aromatherapy background and then learnt perfume making and she had the most beautiful collection ever so um yeah I think it, it's doable yeah absolutely what has been the thing that surprised you most about this kind of fragrance journey so far has there been something that you thought oh didn't didn't expect that mm. um without going into the more businessy side of stuff like distributing and um all the legalities of releasing a product and the processes you have to go through and the expense of that and <laughs> All this that was surprising, um, but it's not a fun answer. It's just what everything is when you grow your business. It's hard work um, and much more stressful than you imagine. Uh, but making perfume, I guess, um, I don't know. It's kind of, I wouldn't say anything surprised me. Sorry, I'm just like staring at my cabinet while I'm talking to you, like thinking it's just, yeah, I guess the there's so many new materials I discovered it was very eye-opening and I guess that was surprising that it's literally like you try materials and it, I've described it before as it's like someone showing you 50 new colors you've never seen before because there's smells that are 
naturally isolated or man-made that are so difficult to pinpoint you have no reference point for them and I find that fascinating all the time um and it surprised me that I can have access to them I guess and they're usable and I don't know it's like being given new creative tools that unlocks this thing inside of you mm. yeah that's really cool that's I think it's one of the it's one of the beautiful things about perfume and being in this kind of community is the uh boundless creativity that people seem able to take these these chemicals these um isolates and turn it into something that you think well wow, that's really novel and oh that resonates with me in a certain way i just think that is it's it is one of the coolest things about it definitely yeah and it is it's kind of hard in a way because you always feel that like that you are st- at the end of the day you're still trying to make a perfume and that in a weird way has its own structure and thing that you need to have this familiarity so in a weird way you have all this stuff to play with but your end result has to fit this thing so that almost restricts you which is one thing I find interesting like you have all this stuff to play with but if you just throw it all in some alcohol it's not a perfume like it might not wear it might be too uncomfortable to wear or it doesn't have any kind of form to it or I don't know it's hard to explain but yeah you it's a hard balance between finding this creativity and using this stuff in a novel way, but also making a finished product at the end. Um, and that's something I almost forgot about when I got into making perfume. Like you play around with stuff and you're like, oh, this is cool. But it's, it's not a fragrance in a way. It's just a smell. <laughs> How long does it take you to make a fragrance from, say, having that initial idea to getting it into a bottle as a finished product? I am very wasteful, so I just get making stuff immediately. And I'm sure the proper way to do things is everyone writes down their formula first and then starts tinkering with ingredients. But I just get quite hands-on. And some ideas, uh, like I have a shelf in my cabinet that's just all like works in progress. So sometimes if I've been thinking of an idea for a few days, I'll literally just start on it in the morning and I'll have it bottled by the afternoon and it will sit there for a few months and whatever I'll go back to it one day or if I get obsessed with something I will work on it every day for however long um yeah so out, out of your collection which one took the longest oh um probably 11 candles in Antwerpen um mainly because I sat with the candle wax accord in a bottle on its own for six months or so before I revisited it and um it took a long time it took a long time (laughs) but I'm very happy with it yeah well let's talk about that one because that's that's my favorite out of the collection can you tell our um listeners a little bit about how that one came to be what the story was and you know how happy you are with the end result yeah it started by just exploring a new material uh which was a chemical called ethyl 10 under weight, which means nothing but um it is a transparent slightly fruity rummy um 
thing. It smells almost like the residue of cognac in a glass, but so mild. And I was super into this material. I was like, it's so cool. I don't know what it smells of. Um, and it's really waxy at the same time. So um, I kind of added some, all these like milky, creamy elements to it and uh, dragged it out into this massive candle wax accord, essentially. And I thought that's so cool, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I put it aside for a while. Six months later, whenever I'm working on florals and I'm trying to build like fantasy florals and um, I got obsessed with the idea of building an orchid because orchids don't smell, well, white orchids don't smell of anything. Um, and I was like, what would they smell like? They're soapy, they're fatty, they've got thick waxy petals. And I started making this accord and it had so many similarities to the candle wax. Um, and then I started building it all as one essentially. So it became this like, incense candle wax with these big white soapy florals on the top um and the story that kind of started to marry kind of came during the final processes where I was like what is this what does this smell like what who is this for is this a perfume blah 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 um and it was at that time we literally just lost someone in the family we lost my mom's mom my nan um and I think doing the final tweaks of the fragrance with that in mind and in that situation finished it in a certain way. And it, I kind of carried that narrative through physically making it in the last days of it finalizing. Um, so yeah, I called it 11 Candles in Antwerp and just because a couple of years back, um, my parents had lit 10 candles when we visited Antwerp because we've lost so many people in the family. And then it was, I named it 11 just because we just lost someone else. So, uh, yeah. yeah. For all of them. It's a, you know, it's a, a sort of a, a almost tragic story in a way that, um, you know, about you losing so many people and your nan. But it's really nice that something so beautiful was sort of born through that crucible of fire and grief that something so lovely and such a um you know a tribute to somebody has come out the other side of it I think that's another of the beautiful things about fragrance is it captures those moments and it memorializes them for us I feel like naturally I just have this kind of like melancholy to everything I like like music and movies and um I guess I didn't plan for this with my perfume collection like when I started I didn't expect to not I don't want to say push these narratives through it but that's just how they came out and um I think a lot of people have noted that about my line it's like everything sounds like sad but the smells are very uplifting and it's about the joy of all of that um yeah I think that's just a kind of boundary I like to work in at the minute like it's it just feels comfortable yeah yeah so I'm interested, you know, you've talked about some interesting materials there and how you get really fixated on them. You know, looking across your whole palette, what are some of your favourite materials to work with and smell? Um, oh, to work with and smell, that changes depending on whatever I'm working on. I feel like I definitely have my comfort zones of lots of musks i use musk all the time um uh patchouli features a lot um but yeah it really depends whatever i'm working on at the minute like right now i'm obsessed with this ingredient called sulfurol which is a 
um, it, it can make a perfume smell physically milky and creamy if you mix it with vanillin because on its own it smells like beef broth. <laughs> it's like a very beefy, savory, meaty smell. And But if you add loads of sweetness to it, it becomes like custardy. But then right now I'm enjoying toying with the sweetness so it's not quite enough to become creamy and there's still that slight disturbing savory element to it. Uh, so literally I've been making so many things with this ingredient because I'm like, I want to put this in something. So it gets very much like that. Um, I have my comfort zones that I kind of build everything on, but then it's the little weird things that I like to just tweak with. Like when I released my new one, um, someone else's flowers, which only just came out. It was essentially because there was a couple ingredients. I was like, I'm desperate to use these in something. Um, and that's kind of how it came to be. Mm. I immediately when you said beef broth I thought I'm sure there's a segment of kind of old Yorkshire farmer men who would love to smell of beef broth <laughs> like just straight oh, completely yeah <laughs> exactly there's some ingredients where it's just like so gross they're so unusable well they're not unusable of course they're usable but it's just like trying to yeah, like that, I've got one thing that smells like roast chicken and it's just like, yeah, I want to use it. <laughs> like, who wants the smell of chicken? Um, but yeah. I, I mean, if I wore it, I think my dog would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure mine would. And sort of picking up on that thread about your fragrances having that slight melancholy edge that there's, I find them, there's something quite personal about a lot of them. And I, I just wonder... With them being or, or certainly feeling like little bits of you, what is it like when somebody doesn't like them? Um, that is a good question, and it's something I'm still like getting used to uh, because I like when I used to wear loads of other brands, I would be ruthless, like, and just be like, "I hate this. This one's crap." Like, and you kind of forget that someone has like really put their heart and soul into meticulously making that but having said that it is personal to whoever's smelling it as well and it is fine for someone not to like something um even like my partner or the people closest to me will just be like oh I don't like that one and that's fine I like it <laughs> but yeah now that I have a physical like brick and mortar retail shop as well um and I get to see people try the whole collection for the first time and I love that but people are ruthless and they're like oh god no not that one that one's horrible I need to get away from me sort of thing um but yeah I mean you put your all into it but it really doesn't matter if someone doesn't like it like it, it, I don't take it personally whatsoever like it it is it is what it is <laughs> and which of the collection do you wear the most um what do I wear the most I to be honest I probably wear Mabel's tooth the most um it's for me it's just uh it's funny because when you make something yourself you get so wrapped up into it and you don't think of any weird aspects because you've seen it all be you know every single thing that is inside of it and I, I don't know how to describe this but for me it's just very easy and comfortable and warm and sweet and lovely but then other people will find it like it's probably the one especially in my shop, that the general public find the most challenging. Um, probably because it's quite, they, people find it smoky and spicy and I just don't find it like that. But um, 
yeah, I probably wear that the most just because I find it so easy to wear. And generally, I am normally smelling of whatever I'm working on right now. Um, but if I go out for dinner or something, I'll wear it too much. But yeah, day to day, I'm drenched in some horrible concoction that will be something nice one day. <laughs> Your family's clearly very important to you, and we see their influence in some of your scents, like Bernadette, Margaret, Evelyn, Teresa, for example. How do you think your experience of family has shaped who you are as an artist? That is a good question. Um, my parents have always been extremely supportive of whatever I've done. I've been very lucky with that. Um, but also, like now, for example, my parents live overseas, they're in Spain, and I don't really have any immediate family around me. So in my day-to-day life now, I don't see any of my family um, because my parents are my main, like, I, I don't really see, like, cousins and uncles and stuff. Like, I have them all, but it's not close like that. Um, I've lost both my nans. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, I hadn't really thought about it until you asked, but I guess in the line and the way I try to storytell in fragrance is that it's that kind of nostalgia of what I, it's not that I don't have family now, I just Mm. don't see them, but it is still a big part of my life. So uh, yeah, I guess it's this kind of, um, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm sure it was in there somewhere, but yeah. Maybe like an invisible support. It's not yeah, perfect, it does, but it's perfect still... description. Exactly. Mm, that's really interesting. And you've got a new fragrance out, someone else's flowers. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that and the inspiration behind that one? Yeah. So when when I'm kind of looking at my line, um, I see it all in color. Like so, for for what I'm missing, I'm like I need something. I needed something green. There's nothing in the line that smells green. I'm also thinking for the future, I have nothing that's like fresh and citrusy. So that will come one day. Um, But yeah, I got really hooked on the idea of doing something green. It was hard because number one, it's considered such a dated classical fragrance family. Um, Also, there's this big independent side of indie perfumers who are really pushing this massive bitter green thing. And I was like, I don't want to just do another one of them. Um, so I was a bit torn as to whether to do this. But um, anyway, I started playing around with, I loved the idea of creating a chrysanthemum fragrance. I love fantasy florals, even though chrysanthemum has a bit of a smell. Um, yeah, I like playing with just not just like rose or jasmine. It's like making something new. So yeah, I got playing with chrysanthemum as a feature. And that's where it all started, basically. I feel like when I brought this one out or when I was working on it, I wanted to start to step in a slightly different direction um, because I think of the collection as a whole. So there is definitely a line of sweetness through all of them. And I wanted to show that I can do something that isn't sweet, for example. And also... When I, I released 11 Candles, which was such like a serious, like melancholy-ish fragrance. So I wanted to follow that with something really playful. So I did Last Minute Change of Heart. And then following that, I kind of wanted to go back to something serious, I guess. And just take it in a, yeah, a slightly more bitter 
slightly fresher as well direction. And it's definitely kind of bringing a challenging, slightly like avant-garde edge to the line. It's the most polarizing so far, I think, but I love it. And I just feel like it's what the current collection was missing to carry on telling stories. Mm. And it's got such an intriguing notes list, radish, watercress, chrysanthemum, hyacinth, stocks and moss. I mean, I, I didn't, when I read that before I smelt it, I thought, I'm not sure whether to expect something floral or something spicy salad day. And it, mm-hmm. it, the truth is... <laughs> you get a bit of both. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere between the two, doesn't it? Yeah. It's fun. Like, uh, one of my favourite parts of having a brand is the marketing, essentially. Like, ta- like how am I going to tell this story to people effectively and briefly? And at the end of the day, notes lists are fiction. Mm. Um, there's no radish in there. There's no watercress in there. There's no stocks in there. There's no hyacinths, you know what I mean? But it does smell of all those things. Like, that's one thing that you can smell every single thing I'm writing because there's so many brands I've tried um, where they'll give you this description of, like, 10 notes and I can maybe smell one of them. Um, so that's why some things I will literally just list two. Like, when I released Last Minute Change of Heart, it was Bubblegum and Cedarwood. And sandalwood, because that's pretty much all you're going to smell from it. Um, there's loads more in there. There's loads of jasmine, but I was like, there's no point you putting jasmine on there because you're not going to smell it, um, even though it's an important structural factor. So, yeah, with someone else's flowers, it is, uh, I mean, it is this, it's a florist, florist shop smell almost, but there is all these vegetal notes. And, yeah, it was trying to accurately portray what you're going to get with that notes list. And I think it's pretty accurate. Personally, I'd love to hear what you think. No, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I, the first thing I immediately thought of when I smelled it was a cold greenhouse, so florist shop. It, it, mm-hmm. it, effectively, that, isn't it? There's a real waxiness to it as well that made me think of the waxiness of hyacinth, you know, that kind of waxy greenery that you get from hyacinth leaves. Mm-hmm. Made me think of that too. And then there is a... a, a a spicy, a spicy side to it. I thought it might have celery in it, um, in that way that celery is quite peppery sometimes. Or, and maybe mm-hmm. so, maybe that's the radish kind of accord. But it, there is like that kind of dry, peppery, but also wet. It's sort of simultaneously dry mm-hmm. and wet. <laughs> so I'm not explaining. Yeah. <laughs> there's a um, so the, the pepperiness is most likely there's a ingredient um, I probably can't even pronounce it properly called poivrel. It's a aromachemical that is, it's like black pepper, but it's much more transparent and it's slightly woody. And it also, yeah, it smells kind of wet and you can push it in a lot of directions. There's also some like uh, clove in there as well. So I think those two together with all the greenery, it creates that kind of hard to pinpoint peppery spiciness. Mm-hmm. Um it's there's some ingredients like that which are fun because it's not as literal as it smells of black pepper because if you use black pepper you're going to smell black pepper yeah um so yeah i like those things that are just like not quite what you think it is if (laughs) if that makes sense but yeah it's probably it's probably that yeah um and which one is your best seller i would say boys Mm. boys has probably been the most like commercially likable or successful 
and probably closely followed by last minute change of heart just because it's so easy to like and there's there's familiarity in them like everyone knows what palmer violet smell like and people like it when they smell a perfume i, I say people I, I i'm almost like the general public who aren't necessarily perfume people generally like to smell something and recognize something in it so if they try like bernadette if you've tried a million perfumes, you'll probably pick out that there's like carnation and the spices and there's patchouli and whatnot. But um, to people who just generally wear like department store perfume or whatever, to smell palmer violets or bubblegum and recognize it is quite immediately likable. So, mm -hmm. and I like that. I like making stuff that people recognize and it's familiar in some kind of way. Cause then you connect to it. If it's completely unfamiliar and you don't know what's in it, even if you like it or not, it's quite hard to be personally connected to it. Mm. And if you had to sum up your brand in three words, what would they be? Oh, man. Um, three words. Oh, these kind of things are easy when someone else does it for you. I'd start with colourful, um, creative, and queer. <laughs> I'll say that. I think those are perfectly great three words. <laughs> so that's the end of my sensible-ish questions and now we'll go on to my quick fire questions if that's all right there's no right or wrong answer of these of course just whatever pops into your head what's your favorite smell oh i think i feel like everyone says like my dog or their pet or their baby or something and i probably would say like my dog and my cat my cat's my cat when we first got him he's a hairless cat he smells like raw potato and i love that <laughs> and then my dog's paws smell like cheesy Doritos, and I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just like my comfort, happy smell. <laughs> yeah. What smells do you dislike? Super gross. <laughs> oh, I dislike garlic on my skin. Mm. I love cooking garlic, but the smell on your skin after like, two days and three showers is and it's still there knocks me sick yeah and garlic oil as an essential oil is one of the only ingredients that literally makes me wretch if I smell it <laughs> it's foul this isn't about me it's about you but I, I want to tell you this anecdote where I went to San Francisco and I went to the garlic restaurant and then stayed in a youth hostel in a very very tiny very hot room ate my own body weight in garlic and the next day oh, got up God went for a shower and came back and as I opened the door to the room, the stench. <laughs> and I was like, oh dear, this is not a good it time. It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> it <was> horrible. <laughs> so yeah, I can, I can totally, you know, appreciate that one. So if you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? Oh man, I'm not much of a historian. I, uh, <laughs> I I always think I think in smells a lot when I hear like historical stories and I listen to like true crime a lot. I love like I think everyone's into true crime now that Netflix do all those documentaries and stuff, but I listen to some podcasts as well. There's this amazing story of um Carl Tanzler, who this is a horrible thing to talk about, sorry. But he's this really crazy, horrible man who basically you probably know the story. He fell in love with this lady who didn't love him back and he dug up her body when she died and slept with it in his bed for seven years 
Oh, and wow. it's a really famous case. And he was considered like, oh, this heartbroken man. But really, he was just this horrible, like, stalker guy. And anyway, apparently, he kept her body in his bed for seven years and would soak it in perfume every day to stop the smell. I'd love to go and smell that room. <laughs> this is one of those things where it's just like, there's such a insane situation that you would never ever get to smell otherwise. Like the smell of years of perfume being sprayed on this corpse. It's horrific, but that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> no, we um, like, we I like. I should have, yeah, I should have just said like, oh, ancient Egypt or something. But no, uh, Carl Hans was bedroom. No, I like that it's true. I like that it's a, you know. Very, very inappropriate. That's your <laughs> true response. So let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think fear smells like? <sighs> probably like Carl Hans's bedroom. Pro- yeah, probably that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll stick with that. I feel like everyone's probably answered all the real answers. I don't know. I feel like for me, the idea of fear is like, I feel like it wouldn't have a smell because my idea of when you have a moment of absolute fear, it's like all your senses stop. Like your vision goes, like your hearing goes, you can't speak. So I would assume you wouldn't smell anything as well. So that would be my more technical idea of what fear would smell like. Mm. What smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? Um, I've mentioned this before and it goes with one of my favourite smells in the world is the E.T. ride at Universal Studios Florida. <laughs> it is my favourite smell. And like I, every time, because we go to Florida every few years, and every time I go on that ride, just like it reminds me of being like three or five or whenever I used to go when I was a kid. And it's like the happiest I am in my life when I smell that smell. And I have no idea what it is. I've seen so many like independent people on like Etsy and stuff make ET candles and ET room spray. I've never tried any of them. And but I feel like everyone who has been there is chasing that smell. <laughs> it's probably just like pine oil or something they're pumping in. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that just transports me to being a kid. That sounds wonderful. What fragrance are you wearing right now? Right, well, right now, absolutely nothing. Uh, it's first thing in the morning. I have a day in my shop, so and. I've been working on this one formula that I really want to revisit. So I'm going to probably be wearing that all day. Uh, its code name so far is bread and milk <laughs> and it smells of bread and milk basically but I'm obsessed with it so I'm going to be working on that all day so I will smell of bread today <laughs> that sounds great I can't wait for that one to come out that sounds really good. <laughs> what does summer smell of to you Ooh, um summer probably B.O. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being real Theo and, yeah, grass, I don't know, sun cream, the usual, hot people, hot bodies. <laughs> What's your favourite food smell? Oh, um, probably pasta. Hmm. Maybe. Just plain old pasta. Yeah. What smell reminds you of school? Mm, like jam roly-poly and custard. Mm. With, like, beans in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just a mash of sweet and savoury, horrible cheat fish. (laughs) Yeah. If scientists were to invent a smellophone, who would you ring first? Mm, Probably my mum. 
because she lives overseas. So I'd just be like, hey, mom, what do you think of this? <laughs> really boring. If we're traveling through time and through dimensions and stuff, if it was a perfume person, like Vero Kern, mm. who she was the perfumer of Vero Perfumo. She passed away a few years ago. But um, I visited her lab years ago when I was like 21 um, in Zurich. And I'd love her to like smell my collection now because I wasn't a perfumer then. So just to see what she thinks. Mm. And and finally, if people want to find out more about your brand, where should we send them? Uh, I have a website, freddieallbrighton.com. My Instagram page is Freddie Allbrighton Perfume. And my brick and mortar shop I am in is only open on Saturdays because I tattoo from here every other day. Um, and it is 14 Victoria Passage in Stourbridge. We're open, yeah, every Saturday about 9 to 5. And I'm always here. You can try all the lab materials, try everything I'm working on, come and hang out, have a beer, smell some nice stuff. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much, Freddie. That's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. The Sniff Perfume Podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at the Sniff website or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Sniff. Our guest today was Freddie Albrighton. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature Freddie. We have received samples from his brand in the past, so we could try the scents out. Thanks very much for listening.